You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Have you ever wished that you had a direct line to your pediatrician to ask all the questions that constantly crop up while parenting? We sure have. That's why we launched the Bites of Health Podcast. Every morning, we'll answer a commonly asked pediatric question in five minutes or less. You can tune in while you're making your second cup of coffee or from the school drop-off line. So be sure to tune in to Bites of Health, streaming now. Are you looking for a podcast your whole family can enjoy together? Uh Check out Culture Kids Podcast. Our adventures will ignite your curiosity for culture, traditions, languages, geography, and even pop culture with interviews from guests all over the world. Through each episode, we aim to help children become empathetic, creative leaders in their communities and help them see the beauty in our differences. And that's Culture Kids Podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, I'm Teresa McKee, your host for A Mindful Moment. Thank you for joining me as we explore ways to increase mindfulness in our day-to-day experiences. Mindfulness is presence awareness. It's paying attention to what's happening within us and around us. Mindfulness increases our emotional, physical, and mental well-being. It can also enhance our focus and productivity, and there are many health benefits from practicing mindfulness and meditation, from lowering blood pressure to increased longevity. Perhaps most importantly, in today's chaotic world, Mindfulness strengthens our ability to be more compassionate to ourselves as well as others. I wish I could push a giant reset button and we could all pause and catch our breath. Almost everyone I speak to, whether a leader or a staff member, shares the same challenge. Not enough time to get everything done. Since there's not a magic button to push, Our only solution seems to be to change either what we're doing or how we're doing it. Many seem to be choosing to change what they're doing. The Great Resignation is well underway, and it is estimated that over two-thirds of all workers in the U.S. are looking for new jobs, and tens of millions have already quit their jobs. One in four have voluntarily resigned in 2021 so far, and that number is expected to increase by the end of the year. Similar trends are occurring across the globe, and the worldwide nature of the pandemic is a major reason so many are quitting at once. According to Brooks Holtom, a professor of management and senior associate dean at Georgetown University, most people don't evaluate their job satisfaction every one of 365 days in a year. Those shocks usually happen idiosyncratically for people. But with the pandemic, it's happened in mass. One of the top reasons for this shift is the seemingly endless struggle with time and the impact that has on work-life balance. According to the Beamery Talent Index, the pandemic gave some employees a taste of an improved work-life balance thanks to remote working, and they don't want to give it up. More than a third of respondents in the poll believed their work-life balance was better during the pandemic while 42% want flexible working to continue as they return to the office. We've done many workshops on work-life balance, or work-life harmony as I call it, since you can't really ever have a perfect balance. 
A few participants believe they have to do everything they're doing the way they're doing it. But for the majority of us, the problem seems to be too many priorities. And while working parents and those taking care of family members definitely have challenges that employers may not be empathetic to, for many of us, we simply overextend ourselves, which ultimately leads to burnout. With clients who feel their lives are out of balance, I always recommend that they start with their values. What's the most important thing to you in life? What's the second most important? The third. Start with those and compare what you're doing with how it aligns with those values. If it doesn't align with your values, consider why you're doing it or if there are any adjustments that could be made to ease some pressure. I've had clients tell me that their work is so demanding they can't get to anything else. That could be true. But again, I would spend some time reflecting on values. If you value your work or money as your top priority, then I don't think there's anything wrong with working all of the time if it's bringing you pleasure. But I'm assuming that's not really the case or I wouldn't be asked about balancing things out. I was certainly in that position earlier in life, working 80 hours a week, worrying about work when I wasn't there, running ragged getting kids where they had to be, assisting extended family, volunteering at church, and working on my degree was pretty miserable because I was stressed out all of the time. I absolutely felt like I didn't have a choice, and frankly, at one point I didn't, because I had obligated myself to my company, my church, my family, and more, plus invested the money in school. So I got myself into quite the mess. Notice that I said I got myself into that mess. No one can set eight or ten top priorities and not expect to be stretched thin. Once I realized I had done this to myself, I started evaluating my values. A lot of what I was doing back then was people-pleasing. Not everyone worked 80 hours a week in my company, even though it was a demanding environment. There were lots of other people who could teach Sunday school at church. Other than my grandparents, who really needed assistance, most of my family members could figure things out on their own or get help from someone else. I started slashing and burning my to-do list. Before you walk off your current job, you may want to take all of this into consideration, because if you're creating the problem, you're going to take it along with you into a new job. And if you've decided working remotely is your new future, work-life balance is a skill that needs to be honed, so that you don't burn out from the blur between the two. In light of all of this, I thought instead of talking to an expert in mindfulness or industrial organizational psychology, it might be beneficial to talk to someone with experience in successfully working from home. Phil Strazula is an entrepreneur and the founder of Select Soft Reviews, a website dedicated to helping HR and recruiting teams find the right software for their needs. Phil started his career working in venture capital before getting his MBA from Harvard Business School. Welcome, Phil. Thank you for joining us today. Of course. Thanks for having me. My first question is, how did a busy entrepreneur find a pathway to meditation? Yes, I think it probably was a result of being so busy. Of course, most people seek these things out when they have a need or something that's maybe a little bit broken in their lives. And I, for whatever reason, am always trying to be just a little bit above my limitations in terms of my schedule or my goals or whatever it is. That's just sort of what makes me happy. 
and what makes me feel more alive. But I, I think the downside is that it's, it's really hard to stay there. It's very easy to go too much in one direction or the other and, and therefore stretch yourself out. And so I had heard about meditation. One of my grandfathers used to do transcendental meditation way back when. And so I sort of knew there was this idea out there. Didn't really know too much about it. And to be honest with you, the, the Headspace app just made it super accessible for me to get started and have some sort of foundational background and, and then actually start focusing on different things that, that I wanted to work on personally. Excellent. Andy Pudicombe's done some great work. And I think those apps, especially when you're first starting out, are super helpful because you don't have to try to work at anything at first. You can just follow along and kind of get a feel for it. And it's very effective. So that's great. I know that you speak on other podcasts about things like how to juggle work and life. One of the biggest challenges that we hear from leaders is that they are having a hard time because their plates are way too full. And so I was wondering if you could share your experience or expertise in that. Sure. So I work from home and I try to have a very integrated sort of philosophy because my professional life is very important to me. It's almost like a hobby or, or a passion in addition to being the way that I can afford my rent and, and stuff like that. I try to be pretty mindful about my schedule and how different physical and mental spaces should be separated. And so, for example, this is my home office. I'm in here when I'm working. I'm not in here when I'm reading a book or hanging out with friends or really doing anything else. And so that sort of physical distance is important. I think from a mental perspective, I also try to have different routines in my life that tell my body and my mind, hey, this is like the start of the workday. You're making your coffee, you're getting some yogurt, you're you know doing these different things. And then this is the end of the workday. You're, I guess it's food related as well. You're starting to make dinner. Maybe you're calling a friend or a family member to catch up. You're sort of transitioning out of that slightly higher stress, like go, go, go. Hey, I've got this email. I've got this meeting. I've got this thing sort of mentality. And so that, that's been pretty important for me. I think also you have to look at your strengths and weaknesses as a person. And one of my strengths is probably that I'm you know, very goal oriented and, and want to like track things down, but that can be a weakness as well. And so I've tried to temper that a bit, set expectations lower because I think happiness is basically, you know, your outcomes minus expectations. And also just realize that even though you want to do a million things in a day, it's just never going to happen. And so try to think about what are those two things you really want to do, get those things done, do the other things you need to do, and then enjoy the rest of your life. Don't be at the dinner table thinking about all the emails you got to read. Just, you know, have fun and try to live in that moment. Now, were you mindful as you were going through your journey through your MBA program at Harvard and starting out with a job and then launching your own company? Were you mindful that whole time or did you pick that up sort of as you went along? It's hard to say. So it's kind of funny. My parents moved a couple of years ago and I found this old journal that I'd written for school in like fourth grade. And it was what you want to be when you grow up. And I'd written down, I want to go to a really good college like Harvard, get my MBA and be the CEO of a technology company, which is kind of like a weird thing for a nine-year-old to write down as like, what do I want to be when I grow up? Surprised I even knew what a CEO was or what an MBA was. So there was always something there, I guess, like 
at a subconscious level, which is sort of maybe the, the opposite of, of being mindful about things. But I also do think that throughout my career path, I've always tried to be very introspective. I'm a big journaler. I seek out advice from family members, friends, professional acquaintances, whatever the case may be, to try to always have an open mind about life and the future and to pick the right path for me and, and what I want to do. And I think that probably my path is much different because I've had that feedback from myself, from other people versus getting on a different treadmill where maybe I would have started a tech company, but it would have been a venture-backed tech company and we'd be trying to go for this huge outcome or blah, blah, blah. And, and right now, you know, I have a technology business, but I work from home, I have flexible hours, I kind of do the stuff I want to do. It's not nearly as ambitious economically or, or from an impact perspective as perhaps I would have chosen if I hadn't been mindful about things, but I sort of made a conscious decision to take away some of that ego and, and potential money outcome and live a, I think, a, a better and healthier lifestyle. Yeah, it's really interesting because so many people who would have never experienced remote work of course, have found themselves working remotely over the past year and a half. And I am hearing from enough of them to know there seems to be a trend of people questioning now what they were pursuing before, because they've gotten a little taste of this isn't so bad this way, <laughs> instead of going for the most stressful, highest paid possibility to kind of get a better balance in there. So I can appreciate that. In addition to all the stressors everyone's been under, including adjusting to remote work, one of the questions I had for you is related to burning out, because whether you're working from home or in an office or somewhere else, there seems to be a lot of burnout now. And I'm assuming it's because of that extra stress that's occurred over the past year and a half. And now, you know, people are not taking their vacations. They're worried. There's so many factors, layers of it. So I was wondering if you have any tips for how to avoid burnout once you're to that space of kind of overload. Yeah, I think burnout is something that sneaks up on you. And once you cross that threshold, it's really hard to come back from it. There are a couple of really good resources from remote first companies like Zapier or GitLab that talk about as an individual how you can avoid burnout. And I think a lot of it comes from this failure of individuals or companies to sort of demarcate the beginning and start of a workday. And so it's this physical and mental space that bleeds over. And if you're always on, you always have that stress, that adrenaline, eventually your, your nerves are just going to like be frayed, right? So I think that some of that stuff's like super tactical and I would highly recommend people check those out. There's another really good book called Deep Work. This guy, Cal Newport, I think he has a TED talk too, if you don't want to read the book, but essentially his whole philosophy is how do you like get stuff done? And a lot of us, we don't get a lot done because we're checking our phones, we're checking our emails, we're, our attention is very like scattered and frayed as well. And he thinks that that leads to burnout. And so one of the big things he advocates for is to really disconnect on the weekends and like not do any sort of work. Don't check your email. And that's more or less what I do with rare exceptions. I'm going on vacation next week. And so I actually worked this weekend. But for the most part, like Friday at 6pm, or whenever I sort of feel like I'm done for the day. And that's another thing I, I sort of feel like when am I kind of tapering off of it? I don't usually check my emails or anything work related on the weekends. And that allows me to recharge so that I can not burn out in addition to working out, meditating, eating right, seeing friends, uh, getting fresh air, sunlight, all that other stuff that really helps. 
that's a great example coming from a tech person, because that's one of the biggest challenges I have in coaching people is to put the devices away, (laughs) to lay them down and really get a break from screen time. I know a lot of people say they go on their devices for pleasure, for entertainment, but almost everyone I know, once it's open, they check their email or they check their messages. And so I frequently suggest put it away, put it in a drawer for a few hours and step away because I agree with you. I think that is a lot of what's causing people to feel like they're on 24-7 and they don't have to be. It's just a habit. Yeah. And I think it's really incumbent upon bosses to set those expectations. We have this like communications document in our company where there are expectations for when you respond to an email or Slack message or a text message. And we don't want people to be checking their emails every 45 minutes because that's going to interrupt actually getting stuff done in addition to leading to things like burnout. There's also a lot of cool things you can do on your phone. For example, you can put your phone into black and white mode. So unfortunately, there's billions of dollars spent on just the colors of applications to sort of spike dopamine and adrenaline and cortisol in your brain. And so if you just put your phone into black and white mode, you can actually use it much more responsibly. So doing things like that, it's sort of like maybe drinking Bud Light versus vodka sort of thing. Like, you know, you can still enjoy the little buzz, but it doesn't get out of control. There's lots of little tactical things and and there's tons of advice on the internet about how to sort of have a more healthy relationship with your electronic devices that I recommend. Well, that's great. That's a great tip. One thing I want to ask you, because you seem to be a little bit dichotomous, you're in technology and that seems to be a very driven industry. And at the same time, you seem to have a really good idea of the need for balance and for enjoying the rest of life and not just work. Do you meditate every day? And do you have a suggestion for our listeners as to if they've not meditated before, how you either eased or jumped into that practice? I know you used Headspace, but I mean, did you do it once a day, five times a day? Did you do anything after that? I did it probably five days a week, right when I got up in the morning I was single at the time and I would just, you know, on my bed, like put it on sometimes for three minutes, sometimes for five minutes. I was very intimidated to do anything longer than that. And eventually I built up that time where now I've done, you know, hour long meditations. And and the first time I did that was in a group setting. There's a cool place in Cambridge, Massachusetts, where you can go pre-COVID and they'll do group meditations, which was, I think for whatever reason, it was just easier to do those longer periods in that setting. And now my practice is to probably do four to five 20 minute sessions per week. There are stretches where I'll go, you know, 15 days in a row doing it every single day. And, and there's days or there's stretches where I go five or six days in a row without doing it once. And I can tell the difference in both ways in a really big way, actually. When I'm meditating, like I just see the world so much more clearly. I'm not as emotional. I'm I'm much more objective. I'm much more rational. I'm happier. I'm a better friend, partner, all these things, business owner. And I think that one of the keys to meditation for folks that are just starting is that if you do it for five minutes and you only focus on two breaths, you're making progress. Sometimes when I meditate for 20 minutes, like I will daydream, my brain's all over the place. And like, I only focus on like three or four breaths. And the first couple of times that happened to me, I was so angry. I'm like, you just wasted 20 minutes. What's wrong with you? But it it still had a similar impact later in my day. And so now if I go through 20 minutes and I'm not really present during that time, 
it's not wasted time. It's actually still impactful. It's, it's maybe like doing a, a light workout versus doing your high intensity workout, but you're still going to get your heart rate up, you know, move your muscles and get those endorphins going. I appreciate that because I think it is hard. People have an expectation that they're supposed to do it well. You know, they're supposed to be good at it. And yeah. all of us have those days where, you know, it just doesn't work well, but it is the practice of sitting. It still does make an impact. And I agree with you too. There's a big difference between the way I am in the world on the days that I meditate versus the days I skip it thinking I'm saving time or, you know, I'm too busy or something. So like one quick example is last week, for whatever reason, I, I maybe I meditated once or twice and something happened with our business on Friday that was very stressful. And I was so stressed out. We had dinner with friends on Friday night and we had brunch on Saturday. And like, I just wasn't really there. I didn't really enjoy it as much. And then I meditated on Saturday and I meditated on Sunday and nothing's really changed about that like business situation, but I'm just like much more like optimistic. I've figured out a couple of ways of maybe remedying this situation. It's just a much healthier mindset and it took 40 minutes, which is Sometimes I think about like, I watch an hour long TV show and because sometimes meditation is like, oh my gosh, 20 minutes, like, when am I going to find the time? And it's like, well, did you spend 20 minutes on Twitter, on Instagram, on, you know what I mean? Like those things are not going to have as big of an impact for you. It's, it's slightly harder to start meditation, but it's going to be a, a much more impactful for your life. It's always funny when I get in those conversations with people where they say, I don't have time. And so then I'll say, well, do you? go on Instagram? Do you go yeah. on Twitter? Do you watch any television? You know, you can right. just replace that time. But at the same time, there's lots of ways you can learn mindfulness with what you're already doing. And then I think yeah. sometimes the more mindful you get, then meditation may be a little easier too, because you've already learned to sort of go inward and pay attention to the thoughts. I really appreciate your sharing your wisdom with us today, because I do know that anyone in a position of leadership, especially these days, the pressure is intense to be on the go, busy all the time, looking busy all the time. And so I really appreciate your perspective where that's, it's not necessary. We can get a lot done and still enjoy life and take care of ourselves because I think mindfulness and meditation, the health benefits alone, make it worth trying. But I really appreciate talking to someone who really is, I'm sure your plate is very full. <laughs> And you still do it. So it's a great example. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thanks for the great conversation. We can all take some time to revisit our values, goals, and priorities, which definitely shift over time. By focusing on our values, we can better ensure that we're in alignment with what we're pursuing in our careers. We can definitely avoid getting to the burnout stage at work and instead avoid overcommitting, people-pleasing, and running ourselves ragged in the first place. If you're juggling too many balls in the air at once, you're setting yourself up for fatigue, burnout, or illness, and you're probably not feeling too happy. Why not try scaling back a bit where you can and pay attention to the difference in how you feel? If you're already overcommitted, make a list of those commitments and identify when you can responsibly drop any. If you're considering joining the Great Resignation, Make sure you've cleaned your internal house before you make the leap so you don't take any bad habits with you. You might also consider talking to your current supervisor about possible changes in your schedule or work location to see if there are any opportunities available where you already work, saving your benefits and accrued perks in the process. For all of the negatives of the pandemic, there are also positives, including the opportunity to reflect on how we want to spend our time and energy 
what our career goals are, and if they're in alignment with what makes us feel fulfilled or satisfied, and what we want our work-life balance to look like going forward. Millions of people seem to have done just that, and we're seeing the results in the Great Resignation. If you're joining this unprecedented trend because your workplace is toxic, you're being underpaid, or because you want to change industries to better utilize your skills, a few of the most common reasons other than work-life balance that people are switching, then by all means take some time to celebrate honoring yourself. We're definitely in a period of significant transition, and that can cause stress. But if we remain mindful, we can make the best decisions possible to enhance our wellness, our sense of purpose, and our futures, while doing so in a thoughtful and calm manner. When feeling stressed, we can also remember that there is positive stress, which motivates us to take action, and that's definitely a plus. We can deal with negative stress through mindfulness and meditation. We can weather another great change as our societies continue to shift and adjust because we've had lots of practice. And we can be compassionate with ourselves as we face more uncertainty. Just don't forget to breathe. Until next time, we can live better lives and create a better world. All it takes to get started is a mindful moment. Meditation is the most effective technique to strengthen mindfulness. The key to experiencing the full benefits of this practice is to meditate every day, even if you start with just a few minutes and work your way up to 20 to 30 minutes per session over time. Consistency counts, and the benefits are cumulative. So be kind to yourself and meditate daily. Each time your mind wanders away from the breath, simply return your focus to the breath. It is in this noticing that you're building your mindfulness skills. Your mind may wander a hundred times in just a couple of minutes, and that's normal. Each time you notice... That's mindfulness. Work to Live's Dynamic Coaching Certification Program is a self-paced online course series that strengthens emotional intelligence and mindfulness skills, along with relationship building, communication skills, time management, self-motivation, and more. Visit our website for an informational video on the program. You can also find resources for self and leadership development, as well as the latest books by authors we interview on this show. Go to worktoliveproductions.com slash book club to start shifting your quality of life today. And be sure to visit our YouTube channel at Work to Live, where you'll find videos of our interviews, animated shorts on daily living and working, guided meditations, and more. Please subscribe to A Mindful Moment with Teresa McKee wherever you get your favorite podcasts and rate this podcast so that others can find us. Follow us on social media at work to live A Mindful Moment is written by Teresa McKee. The English version is hosted by Teresa McKee and the Spanish version is translated and hosted by Paola Tile. Intro music, Retreat by Jason Farnham. Outro music, Morning Stroll by Josh Kirsch, Meteorite Productions. Thank you for tuning in. This podcast is produced by Work to Live Productions.